I feel like you can't call it an NRL magic round without magicians. How would that translate in the hard-hitting world of rugby league? I think they'd be good with the sleight of hand, the yep. deft passes. Maybe um, the dummy? Yep, but when it comes to putting their body on the line, I think they'd probably get really seriously injured. We need to do something about the amount of time it takes a Sinbin player to exit the field. What about any player getting Sinbin for the Titans? We say, if you get off in the next 10 seconds... We'll sign you up to another team. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast to deeply regret serving Moses and By some of the podcast's famous Devon and Prawn Strudel. Certainly an acquired taste, Moses, and uh, might have tasted a little better if you had dipped it in the toad droppings like we asked, but uh, we're very relieved you're okay, mate. Uh, so are our lawyers, frankly. Now, we are recording this show in the morning of game day for the second match of the State of Origin series, so we are only literally hours away from the big kickoff, which is obviously very exciting. Uh, the prelude to game two, as we all know, uh, provides a forum for a spate of wonderful New South Wales blues fans traditions, uh, which reminds me actually, a massive shout out to the group of male fans I saw this morning who had stripped naked, painted their entire bodies blue, and had even gone to the effort of painting a small Jimmy Maloney face on the end of their collective penises. Amazing attention to detail there, fellas. And, and particular kudos is owed to the man who was humorously using his said Maloney phallus to give away dumb penalties on unsuspecting passers-by. You certainly exercise some exquisite penile control, I must concede, sir. Uh, I also have to give an even bigger shout-out to the Stanmore Police Station, who managed to successfully stop the group's reign of sexual terror on the streets. Turns out you can have too much of a good thing. Now, on the show today, we have a number of treats for you in the build-up to Game 2, uh, including some origin chat with former first-grade coach Matty Elliott, who gives us some analysis on the game, and also a bit of insight uh, into the coach whisperer as well, which is quite interesting. Plus, I get a little bit more personal, um, this time not with my abuse for a change, but by introducing you all briefly to my old man. In addition to all of that, uh, we promise to include at least one logical fact about rugby league in the show. Notwithstanding the obvious resource issues that exist in voluntary tackle and the limited budget we have, which inevitably leads to simply making shit up. But we'll be back with more after this quick commercial break. His reign of terror is over. The man responsible for the atrocities in the Belangolo State Forest is nearing the end of his time on Earth at his new home in Long Bay Jail. When Ivan Milat passes, it will mean one of the darkest chapters in Australia's history will draw to a close. But not quite yet, thanks to Destination Sydney, who has recently unveiled a new theme park ride where visitors can come and stare at the murderous bastard one last time through a thick wall of perspex glass. Patrons are not being permitted to be in Ivan's cell as such. However, they can poke him with a giant robotic claw which now operates inside his cell for their own personal cathartic amusement. For an extra 80 bucks, visitors can also force Ivan to watch old reruns of Hey Dad, for a maximum of 30 minutes per session. So get on down to Long Bay Jail while tickets and Ivan lasts.
Now, Game 2 of State of Origin in Perth is right around the corner, so I thought I'd canvas my dad's impressions for how he thinks the game will go. Now, I must confess, uh, we both had quite a bit to drink, so our slurring is usually much tougher to detect. Uh, So please sit back and enjoy some expert analysis of State of Origin Game 2 via another media outlet. Uh, There's none of that here. Well, we are recording. Um, And look, we have a very special treat on the show today. Uh, We've turned into a very family affair. Um, I've invited my dad on. Um, my dad, Charlie. How are you, Charlie? Charlie, that's not my name. Well, that's because Am I, I supposed to give my real name? Well, I've just given you an alias, Charlie. Uh, mm. So you've got to roll with the ruse. Well, I like to call it the um, non-de-plume. What, what uh, general alias do you go by in your regular life? Greg. <laughs> and does anyone ever pick you up on it? Because I've never known you as Greg. Obviously, I've called you dad. For most of my life, but it's interesting that you've just landed on me now as Greg. I'm not Greg. liking this. I'm not liking this one bit. So th- thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. Uh, for for the listeners, uh, Dad is a, a rugby league tragic like myself, um, and he thought uh, he'd come on and share his thoughts <laughs> about Origin too. Uh, you see yourself as a bit of a pundit, don't you, Dad? Stop putting words into my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I can see this going so smoothly. That's what I love about it. Now, um, the next game is in Perth. Feels like an interrogation before I get executed. <laughs> well, no, okay, ask me some questions. Feel relaxed. <laughs> what do you want to know about Eamon? <laughs> I'm not going to go into your criminal past. Oh, you know what? You actually, your reputation precedes you a little bit, uh, Charlie, because um, I've actually told the listeners a story about you because I, uh, I found this story pretty fascinating. It was when I posed to you the moral philosophical conundrum of what you do if you could go back in time and meet a baby Hitler. Do you remember your answer to that? I can't remember. I thought he wasn't a bad little bloke. I'd shave his moustache off, I think I said. Well, I'm thinking if he was a baby, hopefully he wouldn't have had facial hair yet. <laughs> but the, the idea was, would you go back and kill a baby Hitler or would you let him live knowing that he'd go on to become the Fuhrer? No, it wasn't this when he was out in the snow. Well, no, that was your idea. Oh. So <laughs> you told me I couldn't do it. I couldn't murder a baby, and then you left a giant pause and you went, I guess I just leave him to die in the snow. I didn't say die, I just leave him in the snow. Someone might have found him. Okay, I'm assuming if you left a baby in the snow, its chances of survival would be quite slim. Be minimal, yeah, that's right. You always give a different take on things, Dad. That's what I like. Um, And I want to start off by attacking your brain straight away. Freddie, (laughs) he's made a lot of changes. (laughs) He's made a lot of changes for Gabe too. Um... First off, do you agree with those changes? What, what, what do you take? What, what do you make of that? What do you sound so deep and husky for? I can't really get over this. It sounds like you're talking to some film star. <laughs> is it my rugged good looks? <laughs> well, your good looks don't come over on tape, do they? Yeah, they is, don't come is this o- visual. Unfortunately, they don't come across in visual mediums either. Oh, thank goodness for that. No, it's it's non-existent. By the way, before we get into the analysis, I want the listeners to also know about the drink that uh, Dad's just given me. Um, it's a spiced rum ginger beer uh, from the Brookvale Union Brewery. Uh, where did this come from, Dad? Brookvale. <laughs> and, no. and why have you handed this beverage to me? I'm, well, I'm assuming I did ask for a beer. Well, that's all I can find in the fridge. Okay. I was given it to by someone for a birthday present, which I couldn't handle. I see. So I, I, just to get this clear, if someone asks you to come over to your house and they ask for a beer, you literally rummage around in the fridge. And even if you don't have beer, you'll give them something. It's still alcohol. So you could have given me a broccoli, for no, example. No, I would try to give you something alcoholic. Okay. So uh, a fermented broccoli. 
But we'll get back to football though, Dad. Freddie has wielded the axe. Seven people have changed from game one to game two. Now, first question for you, Dad, would be this. Do you think that is a stronger team or a weaker team than the one that took the field in game one? I think it's a stronger team. The only, it's like everyone said, the, um, to replace centres with non-centres is, uh, is the big conundrum there. That's your big concern, the fact that we've gone with two centres who aren't centres. That seems like a legitimate concern to me. Yeah, well, it's, only, it's an obvious one. And you've got uh, Turbo Tom only playing his third game and then it's going to be in the, the cauldron. He's bloody uh, good, though, he's Tom. Good, yes. And his last game, I think at one stage, he was carving up the game so much that he made a line break. And instead of just running directly to the line, he decided to actually make a few circle turns around the fullback uh, just because he could before he scored. So he's that good. Surely you've got to have him in the team. Well, that was last year, though, wasn't it? Well, no, he, he was doing that last game. Oh, this last game. Yeah, he's just come back. He, this guy's on one yeah, but, leg and he's, he's still not, good. But he's not playing the old uh, Queensland side this time. And All he's right. playing in a different position. So do you think there's a chance he'll get caught out defensively there? or No, you're leading the witness again. Uh, <laughs> no, I'd, no, he's a good defender. I, I just uh, worry about him not being in his correct position, which either be wing or fullback. That's all right. Just for the listeners, are letting, just letting Dad know not to toggle the old uh, microphone stand there because I can hear it coming over in the audio. I like to grip the microphone when I'm being <laughs> interrogated, I tell you. It's like Dad's trying to do karaoke at the moment. He's got the microphone and he wants to, I can tell he wants to dance no, whimsically no, around the kitchen. And now the end is near. <laughs> what is your go-to karaoke tune <laughs> when you've had a few <laughs> down at the RSL I don't, Club? I do karaoke. I think there'd I be watch a... karaoke. Okay, so you do Noel, enjoy watching Noel's it. Noel's my hero, next door. Okay, well, you've given away too many details about your private life with your nom de plume. People could put the uh, pieces together there, no, Charlie. Well, life's a puzzle, isn't it? Who's your favourite type of karaoke star to see? I thought we were talking football. <laughs> All right, we'll get back to that. The karaoke star, if you want to do, was that bloke, that little um, Asian bloke from that... What was one of those shows, talent shows? He was one of my favourites. I think you're going to have to narrow it down from the Asian bloke on the talent show. You've, you've set a broad field. Um, Kim Jong-un. Yes, he's probably got a big karaoke there. And he if you don't be. perform, you get a missile up your clacker. You know? I'll tell you what, that would make the X Factor so much better. It would. If there was actually a, a, the threat of a missile bombing uh, for a bad performance, you'd start to see falsettos you've never seen before. That's right, and Kim on the red button, that's for sure, <laughs> especially for Aurelio. Now, you, you made a good point here about the team, that, that we've picked no centres. Is, is Freddie just gone completely off his nut? What's, what do you reckon he's thinking by picking Jack White and then dropping, we have to say, Josh Morris got dropped, who was probably one of our best in game one. Have you ever seen a player get dropped in an origin when they were one of the best players in the field? Yeah, he was probably the best of them. You know, they didn't play that well, uh, New South Wales, what they should have done, but that's true. He, was, he didn't do anything wrong. He, there was no reason for, for drop, to drop Morris personally. Latrell's another kettle of fish. Well, we're going to get to Latrell. We probably should uh, talk about him, actually. Obviously, he's probably the most high-profile casualty uh, from game one to two. Um, now, you, we're both Roosters fans. Dad, uh, the, the people at home know that don't, I'm a don't tell them that. pretty passionate Roosters fan. Um, but even without the tricoloured glasses on, he hasn't been playing well for about a month. Exactly right. He hasn't played for the last four weeks. So it, it's not such a bad call, is it, to have dropped him? 
He was on the cusp of getting dropped and uh, I don't think he, he did enough in his last game to to stop the execution, personally. What do you think he did uh, most poorly in game one? I think for me, uh, missing about 19 tackles didn't help. It was actually his positional play that was the worst. They, yeah. When they spread it wide, he got caught short a lot. He was caught short and plus the infamous one, he got the sin bin, but some will say he stopped a try, but he got sin bin for 10 minutes. That didn't help. I think he's just um, he didn't get didn't get involved like he has been for the Roosters the last four weeks. He has his involvement has been very very low. He looks pretty unhappy. He's got that sense of foreboding on his face, like he was about to be executed. Well, he's got two two faces. He's got that caricature laugh or smile when he scores, and then the other side, no. Mm. Do you think you know when Latrell Mitchell scores and he does like the kangaroo with the ears? Do you think when he has a bad game, he should do another Australian animal, but one that's really depressed? Or a platypus, it could be. Yeah. Like just a monotreme that's just really unhappy with itself. You're going to get on with these questions. <laughs> hey, Dad, this is part of the show. Relax and enjoy it. This is the this, this is, is the gold dust. This is a relax. You're going to get me. All right. Well, in the centres, uh, we are taking on. Um, some pretty experienced campaigners. You've got Will Chambers, but look, let's not forget the Maroons actually have someone who's out of position too in Michael Morgan. I don't think he's playing particularly well. And and we made the comment off air before we started that this Queensland team, honestly, is not the strongest Queensland team I've ever seen. I'm going to put it out in the record now because this will go out before Origin 2. Oh, we're going to win this. I think we're going to win it well. I think we'll, I think we'll win it. The, the fact is, though, there is a rumour that it might be raining down there, but might be a low-scoring game, but no, you're missing Smith, you're missing Cronk, you're missing Slater, and you've got uh, Michael Morgan in the centres. Dylan Napper coming on with a broken wrist playing prop. Are they for real? You know, he shouldn't be playing. That is a worry, isn't it? Because I've found Dylan Napper with two fully functional wrists isn't that good. So if he's only got one of them, uh, surely he's going to be worse. He's going to be playing at a lesser game, isn't he? Mm, that's the way I see it. And, and another thing I, d- I find suspicious uh, with Napa is the fact that um, he's of Islander heritage uh, and yet he's a very white ranger. Oh, well, he's, he's a strange mother and father, isn't he? Yeah, I've just never seen it. I've, in all the images I've ever seen of Captain Cook landing on a Pacific island, I haven't seen him ever shake hands with Richie Cunningham. Oh, well, you, you're all over the shop. What's going on with you? Amen. Oh, I probably should have briefed sorry. you. Amen. That's all right. You can call me a name that I've definitely never been called in my life. That's fine. Um, who do you fear, Dad, when it comes to the Maroons team? So on, you said we've picked a pretty strong team. Which players are the ones that come out at you as being the ones you fear the most? You don't want to see them have their hands on the footy. Well, obviously Ponga. Ponga. Is it Ponga. Ponga. <laughs> Ponga. Yeah, it's definitely Pong, not Pong, Quinton Ponga. Okay. Ponga and uh, the little, little Herman Munster. Yeah, that's right. Well, Munster, he had almost a, a sort of a Wally Lewis-like game in game one. He was running around the shop on both sides of the ruck and no one wanted to tackle him. At one point, he actually looked around at the New South Wales defence as if, why aren't you tackle me, tackling me? And he ended up sort of running about 40 metres. That's right. What do we do to stop that? Why aren't people going up and smashing... Cameron Munster. They just got to go up and just go up in, in a straight line and, and just knock him over. Over the you know the five eight just knocks the five eight over. Well, that'd be Jimmy Maloney. How do you think he'll go? He's been reinstated. I like I love Jimmy because uh, he uh, he'll bring a lot of energy to the team. He's got a lot of expertise there in playing. He plays with passion and mm. he, he he won't miss out with Jimmy. He loves that call and 
playing for State of Origin. So, no, I, I, he's, he, he'll go well. What do you put down? This year hasn't been a happy one for Maloney. His uh, club form hasn't been great, although it's picked up in the last couple of weeks. Why hasn't he been playing well? What's he been not doing well at club level um, that didn't get him selected in game one? It's hard to pinpoint. I don't think he's, uh, he hasn't been clicking with Cleary. But in the last few weeks, they have. I, I think the forwards have sustained injuries and they, a lot of them have been coming back from uh, injuries themselves. Mm. So since the forwards are starting to fire up, the combination is getting better and better. And they're playing together, so it's a big, it's a big bonus. The person I thought uh, played particularly well for us in game one, and there weren't too many, let's be honest, um, Damien Cook. I think he every time we get a quick play the ball, New South Wales look extremely dangerous, and we did it at pe- in periods in game one. It, I get the sense if we can get the quick play the ball in game two, he will absolutely control things. And then when they, he gives off the ball off to uh, the likes of James Maloney, and you've got Tedesco coming on the back of that, mm. I see us as being pretty lethal. Um, do you see similar thoughts in that? Or? Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Cook's, Cook's brilliant. He's, he's probably one of the fastest hookers I've ever seen. So, And out from a quick play of the ball, as you said. Mm. Yep. You know, the, 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 the big joke about Damien Cook that everyone makes is the reason he's so fast is he used to be a sand sprinter. Didn't you used to play touch footy or even tackle footy in the sand back in the day? Yeah, in the day. One, one year. <laughs> and and you, did you enjoy your experience? This With is... my massive legs, I I enjoyed running in that sand. I was I was a whiz. And did you win the win the comp? What was what we happened there? Reached the grand final and we played Manly. Uh, a lot of ex Manly players: um, Pogo, Morgan, Tui. Quite a, there's there's three or four others. Did any of them rough you up? Oh, the old Pogo got me around the neck there once. I was going to school and he threw me back, but. Did you pick him up in a Alec spear tackle? Alec Tennant was the uh, famous tackle on Alec Tennant, the block-busting winger who'd retired. But uh, he You made a famous him. tackle on him? Well, you're saying that. Oh, uh, you said famous, I wasn't sure. No, he was a famous footballer, Alec Tennant, one of the early block-busting wingers, and uh, he was making a run down the, the wing, and there was a dog in between him and I, so I tackled the dog and Alec the Tennant at the same time. <laughs> that's, that's my story. You know, so I'm sticking to it. You got two for the price of one. I got two for what the price was it? of one. I thought this is ridiculous. Just so that the listeners can visualise this moment, uh, what kind of dog was it? Are we talking a poodle? I didn't have time to have a look. It looked like a mongrel to me. <laughs> a stray mongrel dog, was... which may have had rabies. <laughs> now you're adding a little bit of technicolour. I'm just, I'm just asking well... the question, Dad. I'm not sure. <laughs> was, were you uh, Pogo or the dog foaming at the mouth at any point? No, it wasn't Pogo, it was Ali Tennant. Oh, sorry, I've got po- the names mixed Pogo up. Pogo Morgan's the one that stopped me from scoring to try. If the, if the truth be known, I just wanted to say the word Pogo. <laughs> That's all I was interested in. Might be better to call that Ponger Pogo and I'll be able to pronounce it better. <laughs> now, look, uh, another interesting uh, thing that I need to point out is the fact that we're not recording in our normal studio. Uh, we're actually over at, at my mum and dad's house um, in the wonderful eastern suburbs. And right now we're in the kitchen... And uh, mum, I can see mum doing something with a fish tank, and I'm actually interested. Are you trying to poison your own fish? I'm putting in spare for the night. Okay, are you tucking your fish in? I am. I don't think you normally do that with marine life. I always do it with all my pets. Okay. Well, guys, this gives you a bit of a, I guess, a sense of where I've come from and uh, why I'm so strange. Uh, so well, in a way, it's sort of furnishing. It's probably filling in a lot of blanks, to be honest. She normally uh, cleans the tank once every second night, which I find it quite ridiculous. Right. And what are you cleaning it with, Mum? Ajax? Uh, no, I'm not cleaning it with Ajax. I'm 
<laughs> wow, mum's, and, mum's making some very obscene gestures at me right when now. She, when she does, she's normally got the PowerPoint. And she, she knows this annoys me, being an ex-fiery. And she's throwing water around all over the place. doesn't cover up the PowerPoint. That's still down below. I normally find it covered in water. And she tells me that, and she's pointing at me now. No. Do you know what I love about this moment? This moment is as far as this podcast has ever been from Rugby League. This yeah, is a, this is in the outer orbit right now. Uh, we're talking about potential fires caused by electrical hazards. And you know what? I'm bloody loving it. Yeah, bloody loving it. Yeah, it's terrific. <laughs> if I try to throw a towel on top of that PowerPoint, she gets annoyed. He's still going on about oh, it. No. I love it. Um, I love that story you tell... Uh, which is barely routine. I think you tell it about every three months. What's that? About how you were shortchanged when decimal currency came in. <laughs> Can you tell the listeners about that? <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't get as many shillings to a threepence? I wasn't shortchanged. The population was 11 million at the time, so there were 11 million people shortchanged. Right, but, but you're the only one still griping about it, though. That's oh, the issue. Oh, it's, the wounds take a long time to heal. It's <laughs> 1966. It's only a few years back. But even at that time, Dad, you couldn't have been too old. Surely you haven't lost a, a huge amount of money. Well, my, my grandmother lost the money, and she used to say to me, the old pound used to go a lot further. And I said, Clarice, you had 240 pennies in the pound, and now we only got 200 cents. You go, <laughs> you, know, you go figure it out. So it's only simple mathematics. Well, it's fascinating stuff. But look, we will pull ourselves from... The sepia of the 60s. I bet you someone out there in, in what is it, radio land? Pod, <laughs> I'll tell you, tweet us in, folks. We'll agree, we'll, tweet us in. Uh, we'll agree with me. <laughs> to the show, if you've had a similar gripe uh, about being shortchanged in 1966 from the conversion well, of imperial lost. to decimal, um, I'm not sure if any of those people are going to be on Twitter. They might be all dead by now. But I'd say so. we lost a sixth so. of our wages. The government should have put everyone, the national wage up by a sixth. I love it. That's uh, that's genuine passion. That hasn't oh, healed. Hasn't healed. <laughs> um, look, uh, to wrap things up, Dad, I want to talk about the benches because obviously it's a 17-man game. Uh, it's never really won in the first 13. And my only concern here with the Blues, to start with us, is the fact that um, there's not a lot of utility value on our bench. So we've got Fanuk and Tariq Sims, Cameron Murray and Wade Graham. Sure, Wade Graham's Cameron, good. Cameron Murray will, could be a utility. And Could Wade, he play in the centres or something? Is that the, is that the plan? Yeah, I, well, I don't know. Cameron Murray can play anyway. He's like a, I'd say he'd be a good utility player. And Wade Graham, he can play. He's played five eight, I think, in his in his day. So they're talking about Cam, um, Cameron Murray potentially if Damian Cook went down. He yeah. could jump into hooker, but I, I might have concerns. Is he mobile mobile enough to jump into the centres? I'd say he is. He's very quick. He's a young boy. He's a lightweight. So, yeah. So, yeah, he'd, he'd do it easy. Um, now, I've been campaigning. Um, I make it sound like a you know a public thing. I've been campaigning in my private life uh, to get uh, Dale Finucane into the Origin team because I think he's been a forgotten man down there in Melbourne. He's been very good for quite a few seasons in a row. He's finally getting his crack. Hmm. How's he going to go? Oh, you go, well, I think you've, you've campaigned for the right man. He's been overlooked for a long time. But mm. A bit like our man, Mitch Orbison. Yeah, Orbo. He, he's been overlooked. But the great club players don't seem to be overlooked by it. They look for well, these players with flair, but he can't beat a good club player. Is, would Orbo have been better off um, after a while realising he's not going to make the men's uh, state of origin team Maybe to see if he had a crack at trying to make the women's one. Now you've been ridiculous. I'm just wondering if he what? might have had a plan B. Was he, I know we live in this world of gender change, but what's going on here? I want to get to the Queensland bench. Now, um, Moses and Bai, 
Jared Wallace, Tim Glasby and David Fafita. How does that seem as, as far as Queensland benches go over the years? I think it's a lot it's a lot weaker than what they used to have. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it the case, though, every time we say that, then suddenly they pull on the Maroons they jersey do. and they play a little bit like uh, one of those possessed vampires in 28 Days Later? They play, play above their weight. They lift. And there's no mm. doubt about it when they pull the jumper on. Yeah. What's his name? Little Chippy, or his name was? Chippy Close, isn't it? Oh, I thought you were talking about our, our regular no, Chip Jones. Room. He was a very average player. Even Wally Lewis, he, he wasn't the greatest uh, club player of all time, but when he played up there for the Queensland team, he played twice as but twice the man he was. I've got to say, I've actually compared Wally Lewis's tapes, um, the highlights reel from uh, State of Origin, versus his time at the Gold Coast Seagulls. And I actually agree with you. Um, he was definitely better for Queensland. Very forgettable for the Seagulls, so much so that I had to look up on Wikipedia that he actually played for the Seagulls. <laughs> Only a few months ago, I wasn't sure. Been a bit hard on Wally, I know that. It was a fledging side, wasn't it? All right, Dad, we want to leave the listeners with a, a bit of prophecy. Um, can you leave them with a multi-bet that they can go to the TAB with that they're going to earn a lot of money from? You love these multi-bets. <laughs> a, a, who's going to win? New South Wales. By how much? I think they'll win by about eight. And who is going to definitely score for us? Um, Tedesco and maybe Turbo. And who's the smoky for someone that might score for us, who might not be considered a try-scoring freak? Good question. Uh, probably Dale Finucane when he comes on. Love it. He doesn't score too many uh, for his club side, but um, he usually tackles about 98 people. So <laughs> right. he should do pretty well. Uh, look, we'll probably wrap the segment there, Dad, but thanks for coming on the show. How do you, oh, how'd a, you feel? A, it's a pleasure, uh, Eamon. <laughs> no worries. Two ways. I feel like there's a little bit of... I feel like of... I was going in the electric chair and doing the last, last rites before I went there. I was waiting to see the chaplain come around. Is it because of my austere manner? Is it because I, I seem like I'm a bit of a hard-nosed person? Yes, yeah, you had a different voice. You were starting to intimidate me there early. Well, I'll tell you what, next time, um, what I'll do is I'll ingest a lot of helium and I'll have a nose job, so I'll look really different. I'll try to look as much like Nicole Kidman out of the hours as I can be. I'm not really looking at you. I've been listening to your the dulcet tones. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Dad. We'll have you on again. Okay. See you later, listeners. Thanks, Dad, for coming on the show. And in appreciation, I have released your dog safe and well at Bondi Beach. Uh, now, it's time to discuss the upcoming game with a person who has a little bit more legitimate knowledge of the game, uh, one Matty Elliott. Enjoy. Mate, um, I guess we're hoping to get this show out just uh, prior to State of Origin on Sunday, so it is a bit of an Origin-themed show. I, I guess just to start off, I was just wondering, I guess, as a, as a former coach yourself, Matthew, I mean, what are the differences between from a coaching point of view when it comes to origin? Is it, is it a big difference between, you think, coaching an origin side and coaching a, a regular club side? Well, I wish I could tell you that from experience. Yeah, not really in that position. Look, I'm, I'll make some observations that I've been able to make and I'll simplify it over a long period of time. I remember I remember when Brad Mackay went to play when I was playing with him at the Dragons. Origin, he went and played Origin, came back the next game a different player completely. Mm. Not better in one game, and I noticed it with players that I, I coached as well. They go the arena, and I guess my comparison is if you're going down the freeway and you're you're in you're doing 110. Some of us might go a little bit over that, but that's certainly not me. Um, and then you and then you go into an 80 zone, 
you know, like you feel like you're going backwards. Yep. Does that does that? So I, I believe that analogy applies to players that play Origin. You're right. They often come back. Um, they always talk about the Origin experience rubbing off on players, and they come back a better player. Are you saying that? Yeah. I guess the difference in tempo. They come back a, a better a better player. Yeah, exactly. So it's like when you know, that driving experience where you go from you know, go quite quickly to quite slowly, even though it's you know, it's the speed that everyone else is going, it allows you to be more alert, more aware and do other things while you're driving. I just noticed that with players is that they seem to, once they've been at that higher tempo, higher speed game, that they were able to execute at a far better level with far more ease because they, you know, they'd been in a, in a game where they, there were far more physical demands and mental demands. And I, I'd, I'd imagine that would be the same for, for coaching. You've got to actually understand that you, you know, you're at, a, at another level of football. Mm. So you actually probably have to reduce the amount of decision-making that needs to be made because of, of the speed of the game. I know you you haven't had personal experience, but you've obviously been around the game a lot. Coaching at that origin level, do you think it'd be less about structures, less about that week-in, week-out strategy, and more about, I guess, people talk about man managers um, being the good coaches in origin. Um, Mao Meninga comes to mind, obviously, someone that can just rev a team up. Do you think there's any credence to that? Um, not, not on the motivational side. I think if you need to be motivated to play origin, um, yeah, you're, you're in trouble. I think what Mal, Mal has done really, really well is to create single-mindedness amongst the playing group. So, you know, he gives them themes to play around, makes them attached in, to the, the actual experience of representing either your country or your, or your state. And through that medium, he's, he's then created a, real, a really single-minded group and I think that that's where you see at any high level of, of sport. They're the teams that do really well. Structures are definitely important. But when you've got a team together in such a small time frame, um, those, they have to be simple structures that allow the talents that you've got in your team to be exported at their best. So, you know, it's, it, there is simple structures, but they they do a lot of play what you see, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does, Matthew, absolutely. And as you said, I think the Blues have only got three training sessions before the big day over in Perth, so it's not a lot of time to prepare, is it? No. Uh, uh, for me, that's the biggest risk. It's not the players that they bought in the team. They bought, you know, there's, there's some, everyone's talking about who is in their team, but there's some pretty good players in that team. Um, I think the biggest risk is, is is in developing that continuity over a short period of time. Mm. Now, one of the res- one of the responses to that will be, well, Maloney and you know, Cleary are together all the time. That's fair enough. But you know, a couple of guys who haven't played a lot of centre and you know, in a new halves uh, pairing, I, I think that presents its challenge. That doesn't mean they win or lose. Do you agree with the decisions, Matthew? Obviously, it's been pretty polarising. Um, you know, Freddie's axing. They're talking about seven changes, although a few of them were forced through injury. Are you generally on board, or is there any decisions that you thought came from left field? Well, as a Queenslander, I'm 100% on board. But, uh, <laughs> um, look, I, I think that you know, there's a few, few decisions that have certainly been brought into question. Uh, you know, again, I just go back to the point I made, is, is that 
My major question around the changes are made are not about the personnel. The, the, the questions are really about you know, the lack of time to prepare a new team after, you know, they had an extended run into the first game. They've got a shorter run into this game and you know, to have four playing sessions max to try and get this right, that's a big ask. It does seem, I guess you, you sort of feel for a guy like uh, Jared Croker, I guess, whose, te- whose teammate has landed the centre spot who doesn't play centre at club football. Are there any players in the NRL you think are pretty unlucky to make either side in this series that aren't even really talked about? Jared Croker certainly comes to mind for me. Normally, the, my first thing for that would always be Darth Nika, but you know, how good is it to see him in the team? Yeah, it's a great move. Um, but the, same, the thing that we're noticing at the moment, or we're being exposed to, which is fantastic, is this, because of so many highly experienced players have retired in recent times, you know, we've got all these, um, these young players that are coming through. So we've got some pretty amazing talent coming through that will be origin-level players. Mm. But Gary Croker definitely is unlucky. But if you ask me would I pick Tommy Travoy, Rich or Jack White in front of him in the origin, I would probably say I would. Okay, well, that's an interesting call. Um, and I, yeah. I have to say, Jack Whiten did play. He was very impressive, I thought, in that first game, apart from that one moment, obviously. And, um, yeah. you know, uh, people have, people like Gus Gould have always said he seems like a natural centre anyway. So potentially it's not as big a risk as people think. Um, I know you're, yeah. a big, you're a big Queenslander, mate. Um, I, I couldn't have you on and not talk about uh, the mythical coach whisperer um, that's making a lot of headlines up there in Queensland, uh, supposedly has a, a fair bit of influence over Kevy. Uh, do you have any um, inside word there or shed some light on whether uh, this guy has any credibility or not? I know Bradley very well, yeah. Okay. I'm not sure, not sure working with him, but I know his background. And look, there's a real interesting thing, and this stuff won't be as weird or spooky in the future. It's just because it's new, but... Again, I talked about single-mindedness and what Brad brings to it. To, to, to do it simply, he brings a single-minded or, or a common focus across your team. Um, and the science behind it is, you know, it's hard, hard to um, dispute. You know, there's been a whole lot of other things done in quantum physics that, that talk about, um, you, know, you know, a whole lot of laws that apply to actually, you know, what our mentality is. Remove all that. If people want to call that woo-woo, that's fine. But if you just have a team that are together for a short period of time and what you're doing is you're limiting what they're thinking about and you're making the focus on very clear outcomes that they want and not talking about anything else, it just doesn't dilute their attention. Their focus is completely on that. And what you can't argue with that is his is, is results. He's, he goes through his results and what he's done over an extended period. Pretty hard to argue with. It is an impressive list, isn't it? It just seems to be a litany of successes. Um, I guess that's I'm always automatically suspicious of that. I don't I don't know the ins and outs of the, his particular case, but I always see when you see a stack of successes in a row like that, um, just the statistical odds of someone having that much success is always um, it doesn't always sit well with me, but you can't deny the no. facts there, can you? No, look, look, he's a really interesting guy. Really interesting guy. Um, I don't know if you know all his background, but, you know, he had some fairly major challenges. You know, grew up in Maroubra. Um, 
know, ended up in a psych ward after having an accident. Gloomy, I was pretty disturbed about. He was, you know, on the edge of becoming a professional surfer. Um, and this is where he had his, you know, his insights into what happens. But a lot of his stuff is very aligned to, to what a lot of the top line scientists we see are practicing in the world now around you know, human performance. So it's, you know, it's funny how people arrive at a different place. His delivery is no doubt different. Mm. And, you know, if Brad was sitting here in front of me, I think Brad is really good with coaches. And, you know, Trent Robinson would have testified to that. And, you know, so would Eddie Jones and so would some, you know, quite a few other people. Um, but I think he's best off just being around the coach. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. You said before, yeah. mate, that um, this isn't very commonplace now, but in the future it might well become that way. Do you, do you f- sort of foresee um, a time where coaches have a, a consultant by their side who can achieve that single-mindedness, as you call it? Um, a lot of coaches have a lot of people that they, they call on. You know, I know Des has for a long time. And, you know, I, I know Michael McGuire has also used Brad Stubbs. He's also used to another our leadership coach as well. I mean, I think it's it's really important for coaches to have external mentors or external resources. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Otherwise, you just don't have that independent view of you know, how you're growing or how you're conducting yourself. And so you end up walking around with the I know um, uh, attitude flying around in your head, which isn't constructive over a long period of time. There's no doubt about that. So... I would say that I'd be very surprised if all NRL coaches don't have some sort of a mentor in place or mentors in place. But the, the approach that Brad takes is that, look, now, the difference between each team physically is there's nothing in it in the NRL, absolutely nothing in it. You know, there's experience and skill set differences, but there's, they're not really even losing the games. And Craig Bellamy's been, been doing this stuff for ages. He just does it in his own way. And he's, Craig Bellamy also has had a lot of leadership and a lot of mentoring from you know, the, the psych side of things. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's just, you know, we just don't know about it. But believe me, it's true. It's how most coaches will. And that's where your edge is at the moment. That's why... Melbourne Storm have been out in front because they just have the best culture and the culture is about developing you know, a, a psychological approach to how you want to operate as a group and individuals. Yeah. They're miles in front. Well, that certainly makes sense. I mean, I, I guess in the future, can you see, see yourself becoming, a, I guess, a mentor or a coach whisperer down the track with all your coaching experience? I talk way too loud to be a coach whisperer, mate. <laughs> um... um Look, I've actually got a business now where I work in the wellbeing field in the insurance industry and I do a lot of corporate coaching. So um, I'm kind of doing that a little bit anyway. Sure. And, you know, we, we sometimes neglect to see what the skill sets we get to develop through. Like, you know, we're supposed to be dribblers with, um, you know, we're very low IQ, but what you find working at the elite level is that particularly when you go into other high-level executives, you, you realise... You know, how much skill set we have or rugby league has to offer you know, into the corporate world. So I'm kind of doing a little bit of that anyway and have been doing that over an extended period, which I really enjoy. Yeah, that's great. Um, but yeah, that, that, look, the next area is certainly, you know, we've worked on mental skills and that's, you know, we're all very close. And it'll be on the emotional side 
uh, and, and developing players into how to actually develop, um, you know, how they feel out on the footy field and what, what are their most constructive states. You know, we were told being emotional was soft. I grew up with, with that mentality. But what we're learning is that was, that was poor advice and mm. that actually being able to tap into what your best emotions are in the right right phases will make you use energy better. Again, this is all science. I'm a bit of a science nut these days. Yeah, wow. And it'll allow you better focus, better skill execution, all of that. It's all fact. As you say, mate, there, there certainly is, um, you know, that sort of transference of skills, isn't there, between, you know, um, NRL strategy and the corporate world. I know a lot of players have gone on to be pretty successful and coaches, um, in the in the private sector, so um, it certainly makes a lot of sense, I guess, when you think about the level of professionalism and the letter the level of strategy required to compete at the elite level. Um, surely that's going to have a commercial worth somewhere else. Uh, well, I, I didn't realise it myself until I started doing it. I, I, I honestly went and started doing it and was making it up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did I just say that out loud? Uh, anyway. Um, um, but what you find is, and what you don't realise is that in professional sport, and I'll use rugby league as an example, you are doing performance preview and review every day. Yeah. You are, in, you know, as a coach, after every game, there's about 8 million data points that have to be sorted. And I'm not lying, 8 mm. million. And, you know, they're collated into how do you actually make that useful. Um you know, there's decision-making processes. You don't have performance reviews monthly. You know, there, there's not KPIs that you assess that over a 12-month period. You are, you have outputs that you have to deliver every day as a player. You know, the, the amount of well-being monitoring they do, the amount of physical monitoring they do. It, you know, it's it's a pretty unbelievable thing to be exposed to. Mm. But you don't even realise that you have to embrace while you're in that environment. So, you know, I, I believe in the NRL's etiquette and well-being etiquette of getting players to have a plan B, but they need to actually understand what they're learning and what they're getting out of the, out of the plan A that they're pursuing as well because there are just so many transferable skills into the elite executive processes and elite corporate processes. It's, you know, I'm, it blows me away. Mate, um, I mean, just to play devil's advocate, you mentioned there 8 million data points. Is there a, a point that we could get to where becoming too forensic about the game, where we're sort of collating too much d- critical information like that, or, or do you think that's a, a positive direction to go in? The short answer is, and I say this from experience, you're 100% right. It can be a huge distraction. Mm. There's someone here putting their hand up saying they had been distracted by. Not, you know, and it's not just acknowledge, it's not the tool or the performance data that you know, your, 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 your high performance teams are collecting as well. Uh, it can be a distraction. You know, and what you need to, the smart coaches, um, what the smart coaches do is they use that data as feedback to support how they feel about how their team is going. Um, and that's that's what the smart people do. That's what you know, do you think Wayne Bennett gets distracted by all the stats? He no. doesn't seem like it. <laughs> no, he doesn't. You know, Wayne Bennett works on developing high level relationships with his players. I can tell you, you know, Trent Robinson does, does it. They use big data at the Roosters. There's no doubt about that. 
their mapping trends and all that sort of stuff. But he's not getting distracted by it. He just wants to know what in that data is useful so that he can get his players to play better. And that's the, the only reason for it. Now, How is it useful to get my players to play better? Yeah, for sure. And, and look, all this technology, I'm sure so many benefits come along with it. But as you said, I'm sure some distractions as well. When you were coaching, mate, did you do you have any major regret that you look back on and you say, oh, I wish I made a different decision? Um, I know we all, have, we all live with regrets, but do you, is there any uh, big ones that come to mind for you? Most definitely, you know. Again, there's a. This is going to sound a bit. I'll, I'll say this gently. Go for sometimes it. being, sometimes being cutting edge is not not the right thing to be. But when you've got squads that you kind of look at and go, well, we're going to have to do something a little bit different or a little bit more advanced than the other team for this roster to win. And and I certainly got very much into that. And like for, for example, I got teams to meditate in you know, 2009 and 2010, and where it was woo woo, you know, everyone used to think you have to burn incense <laughs> to do all that sort of sort of shit. But yeah. the truth is, is that that every team does it now. Why do they do it? Well, science has proven that it reduces stress. Science has proven it increases recovery. Science has proven that it increases accuracy in decision making. You know, mm. it can take you from this. So. Of course, you know, you use it. So there's probably things that I did that are now kind of a little bit more mainstream, but, it, it, you know, it, it was a distraction, and I actually put the, that, that process in front of what was most important as a coach, and that is having high-level relationships with your players, which was always a strength of mine. So that my biggest regret is certainly at the, the back end of my career, being enamoured with what they call flat organisations now and getting assistance, um, you know, to more involved with, with high-level decision-making. Now, you know, the truth is that's... The good coaches, have a look at them. They get people doing... They just know your job, do your job, and I'll head coach. So, you know, I, I probably got a little bit distracted by other models of what I thought was high performance for all for the right reasons, but it didn't it didn't certainly didn't help the performance of the team, but certainly didn't help my performance as a head coach. Mate, and I certainly don't. I don't envy the position of a, of the modern coach. As you said, I, my impression is that you know, not so long ago, it was we just sort of had a head coach, and he might have had a couple of conditioners to help him out. But now there's just a suite of people, isn't there? There's an entire team um, dedicated to different areas of the squad. Um, is it was there ever a, ch- a time, I guess, when you were coach, where you felt like you weren't the skipper of your own ship because the team was so big and there was so much um, data being collected? No. No, no, no. Look, and I've got to make this clear to everyone. It's just that people talk about, oh, that's, you know, that's great if you're out of coaching. I say, no way. You know, they say, what about the stress? Look, I used to show up to work every day with a, a staff that all wanted to be there and all wanted to get better. And a group of young guys, young athletes, young football players that you know, wanted to be there and wanted to get better. Who gets to do that for a job? It's not no, bad, is it? There, there's some stressful parts of it for sure because the scrutiny's there and you have to go in and answer questions that you prefer not to answer at times. And you know, obviously, you know, with that scrutiny and high level of expectations, you know, it comes a lot of pressure with it. But 
I have to say, I'm not just saying it, but um, my memory of, of a lot of your press conferences were that you had this sort of knack of being able to approach it with an element of humour as well, um, which I always felt that the journalists kind of responded to, even when your team was under pressure. Um, there were times where I remember, uh, you know, you'd sort of, you know, make a quip or a joke or um, just to alleviate the pressure. Was that something that you did consciously or is it just sort of part of who you are? Um, a little bit of both. Look, I made some mistakes early in my career and I, you know, pissed some journos off. And look, you know, someone came up to me and gave me some great advice one day. He said, look, Matt, this is how they, this is how they feed their kids. But, you know, they're, they're not doing it, so don't take it personally. So yep. uh, I, I stopped being... And look, a lot of the questions that you get asked and repeatedly asked, you know, People don't get to see who's asking the question, they just see you're answering it. So if you take it too seriously, you know, you, you're going to get, if you were looking for excuses to get pissed off continually, it would be easy. So you may as well enjoy it. You know, I, I think that you know, it's something you know, right across my life, I've been, you know, been fortunate enough to you know, have that view of life is that look, there's going to be some things happening in your life that aren't fun. Um, but Look, you know, you've got a choice to make. You can either get, you know, you can get bogged down in, into how much you don't like it or you can just go in there and try and find a way to enjoy it. So, yeah. no, that's a good attitude, mate. Yeah, look, um, well, thanks for, um, you know, humouring me and, and taking us down a little bit of your own career there, mate. Um, it's fascinating. I guess just to get us back um, on, on Origin coming up, I know you're a big Queenslander. Um, I need your predictions, your fearless predictions. Who do you think will win game two and why? <laughs> Origin's not about any analysis. Origin's about who you support. That's a great thing about it. That's the one, you know, so I always say that and to say, so Queensland will be winning. Just ask uh, Brad. Yeah. Brad Stubbs. Queensland will be winning for sure. Um, and the reason being is that it's all about the colours of the jersey. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, but in all seriousness, I think the Queensland do have the best opportunity to win because of the continuity of preparation. But if New South Wales can take more advantage of what they did in the first half, they blew Queensland's luck apart. And you know, Cook was getting a dummy half and running 10 metres, but there was just no one in Kerry of it. So if I can address that, they get enough quick play the balls. And Damien Cook, he's, he's right up there with the very, very best players in the competition. So if Queensland let them, New South Wales get quick, give me quick play the balls. And Cook gets some support. Good luck with that. I agree with you, mate. I thought in game one, uh, Damien Cook and Tedesco were, were um, standouts. And if we get that quick play of the ball, as you said, um, it will be danger time. As a New South Welshman, the, I guess the people I fear on the other team, um, specifically Munster and Ponga. Um, what, do, what do you make of those players? Obviously, they're fairly new to the new to the arena, but geez, they've taken to it pretty well. Can, we get, can you ring me back in 10 years' time? Let's have another chat about those <laughs> yeah. we'll be... they'll, be, yeah, they'll be bordering on legends by then. I, Cameron Munster, I just love the way he plays footy. I really do. He's out there and he's competing in every single moment. 
and he's got a skill set that allows him to win a lot of them. You know, Ponga, he's just, he's one of those, you know, generational players that comes along every now and then and just, when he gets used to that level even more, like, it was his second origin game. you believe that? I know, it terrifies um, me, to be honest. Yeah, uh, uh, he's just a, he's a gift to watch. He's just got so much understanding about space and time around him and his skills. I just mind blown. And what about last year when they chucked him in a hooker there? I know. Like, my goodness. I thought, oh my God, he's going to get pumped. Mate, he aims up, so yeah, they're both super impressive. I think you could put Ponga in, in bloody prop and he'd still play well. Um, he's just one of those guys. And, you know, as you said, I think you made a great point about Munster. He's just, he seems to be that genuine archetype old school footy player who is playing what he sees in front of him. I think he's one of those guys that doesn't necessarily have to go from the handbook. He He's really seeing what is in front of him and playing in every moment. And that's what terrifies, I think, the Blues the most. Yeah, well, I, I would agree with you. You know, he's... He's going to get better. Can you believe that? Both of those guys we're talking about, mm. they are nowhere near as good a player as they're going to be. And I'm touching wood because you wouldn't want to see him be hurt. <laughs> no. I don't care about I'm being selfish. I want to see them both progressive rugby league players and, and become the best they can be because how good that's going to be. It's going to be worth showing up every week just to watch those blokes. Well, it's just a little bit irritating, I think, for Blues fans because we just saw off Billy Slater and we just saw off the likes of Cameron Smith and Cronk and Thurston. And this it seems like there's there's normally a bit of a gap. Well, I like that little gap year uh, or a couple of years where uh, they have to regroup, but it just seems like Queensland are there threatening again already. It's it's pretty irritating for us. No, don't, don't be too sad. you got some decent... You talked about Teddy and Cook and, you know... Well, I know Latrell's been, you know, gone through a little bit of a tough period, but, but he'll be back. And, and I saw him play a game this year at the SCG, and oh, it was pretty mind-blowing performance. And there's there's some other guys in that New South Wales team. That's a great thing about Origin. That first game, if the result was exactly the opposite the other way around, no one would be surprised. Mm. Um, um, so like, we can go over there and we can theorise all we like to if anyone has a clue on who's going to win and who's not going to win, look, they're guessing. They're lying. (laughs) Mate, um, look, I'll probably wrap it there, but look, as I said before, I'm I'm super appreciative of your time and um, that that was a really fascinating chat. So, look, uh, it hurts me to say it, but good luck as a Queenslander. Um, I certainly hope you don't win, but um, I'm I'm really just hoping for a great game. I can't wait to go to Perth, mate, so I'm... Yeah, I can't wait for a great game too. Should be amazing. Mate, thanks so much again, and hopefully we'll chat down the track. Sweet, mate. Take care. Well, that about wraps things up uh, for this very special State of Origin-themed version of the Voluntary Tackle. Now, for all of the bluster uh, of the mass axing of the New South Wales Blues, I have to say this is a much stronger team than the one that played in Game 1. I personally, Eamon Brown, are very confident of victory tonight, so much so that I'm actually finishing with an Eamon Bold prediction. Tonight, the Blues will win the match by 10 points with James Maloney to have a huge game. Watch for a huge work rate from Dale Finucane coming off the bench and the New South Wales bench in general to be a major difference between the two sides. A huge congrats in advance to the Blues for winning 24-14.
That ends the show on an unusually mystic note. Uh, so until next time, just do what David the Coltrane Taylor would do and draw a period on a career that never was and convert to renewable energy. Goodbye. Thank you.